Our child's abduction was our private hell, but sadly, it was not an isolated incident. John Walsh. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome. Yes, once again, here we are for another fun-filled episode of Felonious Pundits. Uh, I'm Kintad Spinsgard, and as I say every week, please give a hearty hello to Mr. A.J. Mass. A hearty hello right back to you, good sir. I'm excited about this week's episode because it's not last week's episode. <laughs> I, I am 100% with you on that. All right. Yes, folks, this is a podcast about the program Criminal Minds. Every week we take an in-depth look at an episode and recap an, an episode of the show. I have never seen this show before, and uh, we get lots of laughs out of that. And <laughs> that's the perspective I'm going to give you. And AJ is a longtime viewer. We also get lots of laughs out of that. And uh, he's going to give you the perspective of someone who's seen the show plenty of times. Indeed. Yeah. Now, now, when you say you haven't seen the show before, I mean, you haven't seen you've you've seen all the episodes up until now. So you've seen the show before, but you haven't seen Correct. this episode before. I have not seen yes. this episode, nor nor any of the episodes that follow. Indeed. And uh, uh, oh, we, st- we still got 300 plus episodes to follow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it uh, because I am I didn't know if I was going to live that long, but I'm glad that I will. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to make it. <laughs> this week, what are we looking at? We're looking at season one, episode 12, which was entitled What Fresh Hell? It originally aired on January 11, 2006. It was written by Judith McCreary and directed by Adam Davidson. And an excellent job by Adam Davidson. I... Love the directing in this episode. We'll, of course, get into that as we go through the episode, I'm sure. But uh, I, I looked at, I looked it up. He only directed two episodes, uh, this one and another one, uh, a few seasons down the road. And it, that's a really good episode, too, I just happen to know. So, I mean, I, I like this guy. I checked his resume. He's directed a few things, but never anything, like, significantly for length of time. But he was heavily involved with the Zoe's uh, first season, the Zoe's playlist. So, I'm... I'm and I like that show the way it's directed as well. Yeah, so, yeah. A, that's a fun show. All right. So, yeah, let's uh, get into it, AJ. This week we open up and we're at a park and uh, we're looking at a soccer field or pitch, whatever the correct word is. I think uh, we can go with field. We're in America. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, we get the uh, letters telling us this is uh, Willington, Delaware. Wilmington. I can almost pronounce it. What, you would drag queen Willem? Willemton? <laughs> Willemton. Uh, we see some girls that are uh, playing soccer, and there's a, a woman coaching the team, and we can hear her yelling out instructions to the group. And we see she's standing by a girl who is not playing, who has a cast on her arm. And, and can I, I just assume. poke, you know, I don't want to be the guy who's going to nitpick right out of the gate, but... <laughs> I'm going to nitpick right out of the gate for a couple things in this yeah. scene. But starting with this one, that first scene, we see the girls running down the field and the ball gets kicked to a girl who basically runs right into the coach where the coach is standing uh, on the field. Why the coach is on the field? Yeah. I know it's a practice, but you hear a girl from off camera saying, shoot it, shoot it. <laughs> I'm like, she's standing next to the coach. She's not going to shoot it. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really pay attention to that, but that's a good point. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, again, because I watch these episodes a lot of times, so I'm looking for the background stuff and the, the stuff that you might not notice. And boy, that, I'm like, ooh, that was step one. That was the first moment I knew this is, she's not a very good coach. And there'll be another one later on. <laughs> okay. All right, fair. The daughter is, uh, the one in the cast is, uh, she's uh, talking to her mom and she's giving her the typical mother daughter daughter uh, argument because she apparently wants to go hang out with her dad but her mom is saying no she so the girl is giving her some attitude about it but mom isn't going for it she says billy you have a bad attitude and i want it gone by the time we head for home i suggest you run it off laps now indeed and here we have bad coaching part two uh, because Billy decides to run right across the field. Now, mind you, she's got a cast on her arm. That goalie has the ball and is just about to kick the ball downfield, which could just easily hit Billy. But any soccer, I coach soccer for many years when my son was in youth soccer. You train the kids from day one. If you're going to run, you go around the field. You don't cut across the field because that's just a recipe for injury at not only does Billy, I mean, Billy, all right, she's she's angry. She may be doing this intentionally to to get on her mother's bad side even more, you know, to annoy her, to run across the field. Uh, she's got to say, Billy, around the lines or something. She's got yeah. she to call yeah. it out, especially because the other girls are going to say, how come Billy gets to run across the field? I guess we can run across the field. Like, oh, ooh, ah, ee, oh, ah. Yeah, even not being a coach, I would know you don't run across the field. But like you say, she may have been like doing it as a defiant gesture, but still, there's no commentary on it from from the excellent coach Indeed. that is Mrs. Copeland. <laughs> I'm calling her that from now because I don't want to sit here and wait till we actually hear her that, name. That's fair. She's I mean, Copeland. although in episodes like this, when there's <laughs> just one main family that we're dealing with, mom and dad do work. <laughs> but but yeah. granted, yes, we. We, we can retroactively, since it's not like a big mystery that we're trying to solve in the name, we can, we can use right. it. <laughs> so anyway, we uh, we follow Billy for a moment and uh, she gets out her phone, her cell phone, and, and tries to call her dad. But her dad doesn't pick up. She leaves him a message that we get our uh, uh, something is probably wrong music. And some video trickery, that kind of like staticky, kind yeah. of that little warping where like basically, you know. Danger Rule Robinson, or in this case, Billy yeah. Copeland. <laughs> yeah, uh, the upside down is near. Literally, literally, the upside down is near. <laughs> uh, yes. Nice. Speaking of upside down, we. <laughs> ooh, maybe I'm going to edit that out so it sounds like I did that on purpose. Uh, but uh, anyway, no, we see that there is a, a little boy who's uh, playing on a, a jungle gym or some such thing, and he is hanging upside down, and he is actually the witness in our case. Because he sees Billy, who is talking to somebody, a man who has a dog leash. Apparently, she needs to. She's going to help him find his dog. The old "help me find my dog" trick. And then it's kind of disturbing, and we see it sort of from the viewpoint of the boy that's hanging from the jungle gym. And we see after a moment that she's walked off with him. The next thing we know, she's screaming well trying to get anybody's attention she's in the back seat of an suv that is driving off a green suv indeed uh it's 
it, it's a little confusing to me as to why we chose to focus on this kid because we never see this kid again. And we do right. get a child witness. I don't know, maybe they just they tried to film it with this actor and they and like it didn't work or something. But I'm like, if you're gonna have a child witness actually show up later on, which we will, why not have that be the child we see here? So at least we know that yes, they did see something, right. but that, that is not how they chose to go. <laughs> yeah. So next we cut to uh, the BAU. Garcia is popping into Gideon's office and she wants to thank him for the flowers. He immediately looks kind of like he doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. Um, And she reads the note that he uh, thoughtfully included, which says, uh, I know I can be challenging, but your work is appreciated. J. Gideon. If I saw that from Gideon right there, I would have known something was up, AJ. But (laughs) anyway. Well, like you said, the lack of a poker face where he's just like, (laughs) yeah. Garcia says uh, she appreciates the appreciation and uh, BTW, you're not challenging. Well, no, you're totally challenging, but you're not challenging at all in a bad way. Um, And then she spots some pictures that he has and awkwardly asks uh, if that's his family. He says, sort of. She thanks him again. She's on her way out. Uh, JJ is on her way in. Gideon asks her what the hell BTW means. And JJ says that's internet shorthand for by the way. You know, I, I will give them a pass for for these types of internet explanations. We forget that the internet was still new back then. And for a guy like Gideon, I will give a pass. If that, if that was Morgan who didn't know, I would be concerned. But Gideon is not on the computer. We, we I, He doesn't know. <laughs> okay, fair. JJ... Then asks if uh, Gideon sent her flowers, and uh, he says, no, you need something. Uh, It was kind of uh, just very cold the way he said it, but funny as well. JJ basically has come in to announce their missing child's case, and now we cut to the roundtable room, uh, and uh, she's addressing the whole team. Yeah, and it was a very really nice edit here. I love this edit. It's, it goes like cuts from Gideon in his office. She's so JJ, what you got going on? And she says, "We've got a case," and she's in the room. It was a really smooth edit. Like this is just the first moment where I went, "Oh, I got to pay attention to the direction of this because it was just really seamless." Wasn't traveled by Kodak, but it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, telling the team the case. Uh, She says the girl was last seen yesterday afternoon around 4.30, which was 20 hours ago. And Hotch is like, hey, the child abduction response plan says that they should have been notified immediately. JJ says, well, there was reason to believe that she was with her father because there was a record of a call to him around the time of her disappearance. They've since ruled him out. He called the mother about an hour ago. Gideon says, well, that doesn't mean he's not involved. And, fair, uh, fair. <laughs> but fair, yes. The local police are considering this a stranger abduction. Reed decides at this moment to spout some of his usual cheery Reed-like facts that boil basically down to virtually all children of that age that are that are abducted are killed by their abductors within the first 24 hours. So maybe they got four hours. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a hard deadline, but they treat it like it's a hard deadline, which is a little annoying. I get it. We yeah. need to have some sort of uh, stakes. Uh, you know, we got to find her soon would be enough stakes for me. But I, I, I guess putting the hard deadline on it makes it seem like it's a ticking clock when there's 
really isn't one. I mean, like, if they found her in 26 hours, would they be disappointed? Like, no. Right. <laughs> you know, ah, oh, man, I wouldn't count it as a loss on our little biometer. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so now we go to credits. Criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds. Uh, after the credits, we arrive at the scene, and uh, Gideon is giving us our opening quote. The poet W.H. Auden wrote, Evil is unspectacular and always human, and shares our bed, and eats at our table. <laughs> it, it was a very ominous delivery of the quote. It, it's one of those quotes where you think it's over, and then it's not, and then it's not, and then it's not, and eats at our table. And eats all our food and doesn't <laughs> recycle. <laughs> and doesn't blow his nose yeah. after sneezing. Well, you know, I like it. It sets up, you know, maybe maybe it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Maybe it's someone that we least suspect from the calls are coming from inside the house. You know, that kind of thing. I get it. Right. No, but no mention of what fresh hell. Just no, no mention of what fresh hell. Uh, and no, no, no jet. It looks like they drove to this one. Doesn't it? Well, it looks that way, AJ. <laughs> yes. yes, indeed. In that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the team arrives at the scene, and Hotch and Morgan are, are going to go meet with the lead detective at the park where the girl was last seen. And JJ says she's going to go find out what the press is running, see if she knows any of them. She may need to manage whatever they're putting out, whatever message they're putting out. They all know their jobs, or rather... Yeah. All but one person in this group knows their jobs. <laughs> so Gideon says to Elle, L, I need you to be a liaison with the family. And L is like, liaison? Uh, Gideon <laughs> explains. Yes, I want you to liaise. Jeez, ladies. Yes. <laughs> he explains, in a child abduction, the parents are likely to break down if we aren't very careful. Elle says, okay, but can you still please just define the word liaison? No, she doesn't say that. Can you put it in a sentence, uh, please? Can I have the country of origin, please? By the way, to be fair, I always misspell that word because of that extra okay, I. But, but, it, but, you know, again, Elle, this is not Elle's first episode. This is episode 12. Elle knows how these things work. Maybe it's her first abduction with them, but liaison, it's a normal word. <laughs> Yes. Hotch and, so we cut to Hotch and Morgan there uh, at the soccer field with our local law enforcement this week, uh, Detective Russett. Uh, she fills them in on what they've done so far. And she seems a little bit either or guilty or defensive about the amount of time that they that they let pass during this case. Uh, she says, I had to make a call on this, you know. Yeah, but I mean, she seems competent. She's look, you know, we got a late yeah. start in this because we thought it was with, she was with the father, and you know, but we've done this, we've done this, we've done this, and I think the BAU responds in kind. Yeah. They, and a lot of times we've seen where they go into these uh, towns and they're like, oh, we got to take over for this guy, or, or we got to work around this guy's obstacles. Here it's like, oh, cool, this is a cool partnership. This is gonna, this is gonna be fun. Like, you know, in, in as much right. as a, a kidnapping case can be fun, but you know. We're gonna we're gonna get support from the locals. We're gonna we're gonna give them things to do, and they're actually gonna do them. <laughs> right. And she says, "Y'all telling me it was a cop." <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, anyway, so she they ask her if there were uh, any witnesses, 
she doesn't bring up at this point, as you mentioned, that little boy hanging from the jungle gym is never brought up again. No, and maybe he didn't tell anybody he saw anything. You know, he's he looked very young. So, right. you know, it's possible that we see and, and no one ever knew, you know. <laughs> right. So they ask her if there were any witnesses. She says that the witnesses have the girl talking to a white male, mid-30s, carrying a leash. Hotch, Hotch says, just a leash, no dog. Uh, no, no dog. And uh, Morgan <laughs> says uh, what I guess I said earlier, that lost dog is a common ruse with children. She tells them that a short time after that, a green SUV sped out of the parking lot and that they've got an Amber Alert on it. And Morgan asks her about the argument that the mother and daughter were having. Russet says Billy wanted to spend more time with her father. The parents just recently got divorced. A fresh uh, divorce, one might say. A, a fresh divorce. <laughs> and, and divorce is hell. So they technically <laughs> said the title, if you want to really stretch it. No, they didn't. They didn't. Why to stretch, yeah. Uh, Hotch, Hotch figures out that the unsub was probably hunting the scene, so to speak, during the practice. A crowded park at 4 p.m. is a target-rich environment for this type of guy. And these guys are good at finding vulnerable kids. Russick gets a call and lets them know that they have just located another kid who might have talked to the suspect yesterday. Um, and it's just a couple blocks from there, so they head off. Good, 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 good work. Good coordination. Happy with the scene. Yes. <laughs> we cut to Gideon, and he's uh, in B Billy's room looking through her things. Uh, he finds a picture of a dog with some dog toys or something, like, around it. Um, yeah. It's, it's, he's, you know... <laughs> Again, when Gideon goes into these these rooms, he kind of goes into I don't know a state. <laughs> uh, it's like this this like look across his face, this pall. They just kind of like we see that, that, that he's hearing voices from her life that he couldn't possibly really be hearing. They're not they're not even clips from previously in the episode, which sometimes he does. It's just oh, it's Billy's voice, and it's oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's just like it just shows that he just gets so tunnel vision in these situations here. It's 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 a nice consistency with his character, but it's it's just really awkward to portray on screen because I'm sure he's not really experiencing it this way. <laughs> right. Definitely. Uh, then we uh, cut to a TV screen showing Detective Russett giving uh, the description of Billy Copeland, uh, the description of the suspect, the description of the SUV. And we realize we're in the living room and uh, Elle is liaisoning with the mother. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's a nice edit. They show, you know, Gideon looks at the TV in her in Billy's room, come out of the TV, we're in a different room, but they're all watching the same TV, which makes sense, certainly, because the TV says that this is a live broadcast. But we know it's not a live broadcast because we know that that detective is actually walking with Morgan and Hodge to go check out the witness. They cover it by... by at, you know, the mother saying that they've been showing this same report over and over again. Right, But then it right. shouldn't say live. I did find it amusing that uh, it was on USNT News, some sort of national news network, live from Wilmington, Delaware. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> uh, also, up next was Sports Brief. Sports Brief was coming up next. <laughs> you know, they could have gotten away with this. Just had JJ doing a press conference here. I know they, they saved that yeah. for later, but... Wouldn't you know? Would use JJ's there. Just use her. But it's all good. It's all good. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna complain because it was a nice edit. Yep. 
So Elle is speaking with the mother. She's and the mom is like the press wants to talk to me, but she just she doesn't think she can face it. So Elle, in her very concerned voice, and she does have a good rapport. I think, to be fair, she says, "Why don't you just tell me what happened?" And the mother said she was at practice, and and Billy was being a pain as usual, giving her attitude. So she told her to run it off. And then she's like, I sent her away. And you can tell she feels she blames know, herself. Mm-hmm. the horror of that. Elle asks her how long she's been divorced. She says uh, it's been final for about six months. We haven't lived together for over a year. Uh, Elle asks her if she's seeing anyone. But- because men are hateful and I hate men and it must be a man in your life. <laughs> No, no, Elsa are very compassionate. I kid, I kid. <laughs> yes. But we know she's probably thinking that. <laughs> Not really. The mom hasn't been seeing anyone. I mean, she's had a few casual dates, but nothing where anybody's come over to her house or anything like that. Billy, she says Billy is hoping, is always in the hopes that her mom and dad will get back together. And uh, Gideon chooses this point to come in and ask, how did Billy's dog die? Mrs. Copeland says it was hit by a car two weeks ago. And how did you know that? He says uh, the shrine in her room. I'm assuming it helps her to grieve. Mrs. Copeland points out that her dad did that for her. Um, Gideon asks if they got along well. And she says, oh, they were the best of the best of friends. She, she calls him every night. She tells him about her day, asks about his day. Uh, apparently he's a cancer survivor. So he takes time off from work, pulls her out of school for little father-daughter trips, says that, you know, we all need to stop and enjoy life. But he also forgets that he has responsibilities that they both do, uh, which makes her the bad guy. And she gets blamed for the divorce, blamed for everything, basically. And um, she's just choked up and she says she should have just let him go. Let her go visit her father. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I get it. You know, he's a, if you're, if the parent is the best friend and not forgetting to be a parent, it makes the other parent look bad when they have some discipline on it. I, I, I did find it kind of uh, amusing in today's uh, watching of it as opposed to watching it at the time is that, you know, we have a little girl named Billy who's mis- missing and we're talking about the bad guy. <laughs> She's the bad guy. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> Not the same Billy, I know, I know, but <laughs> no, but maybe she has a big wheel she can drive. <laughs> there you along. go. Yeah, so uh, she gets choked up anyway, and and Mrs. Copeland gets choked up and leaves the room, and and Gideon is saying, "Well, she's pretty fragile," and Ella's saying, "Well, the last thing she did was fight with her daughter. Can you imagine what that feels like?" And then they see that Mr. Copeland is uh, arriving at the front of the house in his truck. Oh, what what what, what company's truck? By by the way. Ford truck, Ford logo, front and center through the window, held on that logo for just five, four, three, two, product placement done, let's move on. (laughs) Okay. AJ, I don't even notice these things that you pick up on, but yeah, Ford must have uh, given him some money this oh, week. You know, it's, it's not it's not as bad as some later seasons when they'll, they'll get into the car just to drive and go, boy, is this a new car? Yeah, really moves. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh, boy. We do take this moment to cut to Reed and JJ, who are outside noting the big response from the press. JJ goes to the throng of reporters. 
Reporters are always in a throng, aren't they? I guess that's their collective. Well, I believe it's a circus of reporters. <laughs> okay. That would be the proper collective uh, so, now. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, JJ sees a reporter that she knows, so she walks up to him. She's all, look who's here. Came all the way down from New York, huh? And uh, the reporter says very business-like, uh, a, a missing little girl is always going to be news. Uh, she asks if he got all the photos and everything uh, that he might need. And this reporter is very pushy, in my opinion. AJ says, she's been missing since yesterday. How come you guys just got here? JJ says, we'll have a press conference. He says, when? She says, soon. He says, come on, JJ. Give me something, huh? For old times' sake. Uh, and I I don't even want to ponder and think about whatever their relationship was. <laughs> you, you mean you weren't getting those the, the red flags that perhaps they might be setting up a potential romantic interest down the road? I uh, kind of thought maybe that or from the past, but I I, I, I didn't like this guy enough to hope that's not I, I mean, you might have been rooting against it. I did think that they were at least maybe planting a potential seed. I mean, the, you know, by the end of the episode, it ain't there no more. But at this point, I'm like, oh, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, after he says, give, her some, give him something, she says, okay, you may want to rethink that tie. <laughs> See, she's got, she's got the bants. She's got the bands, Kintan. She's got the bands. <laughs> uh, next, we go inside the Copeland house. Mr. and Mrs. Copeland have are having a brief argument about where the hell he's been uh, this whole time, basically. Mr. Copeland deflects and uh, asks what what's being done to find his daughter. L, the liaison, says we're uh, assessing that right now. And uh, Mr. Copeland is like, she's been missing since yesterday. What the hell have you people been doing since then? Luckily, Gideon is there to liaise as well. (laughs) And he he turns it on him, asks uh, Mr. Copeland where he's been all day and all night. Uh, And he starts talking about he's got some cabin in Brentingwine Valley. Gideon's like, the police tried you there. And he says, well, maybe I was out at the time. He said, Gideon says, Bill, Billy tried your cell phone yesterday. Well, I shut it off sometimes. I I like the solitude. Gideon is like, you didn't fight your wife for custody of your daughter, but you love being in her life. He wants her to grow up in her home with her friends around. This is the only place she ever lived. So, yeah, basically is what he's saying. And uh, Gideon's like, why are you wasting any precious time we have left (laughs) Just cut it out, buddy, Mr. Copeland, dude. You weren't at your cabin. You weren't at work. You weren't with friends. The police didn't call us until a little while ago because they thought your daughter might have been with your dumbass. <laughs> so, uh, okay, he didn't say that you're a dumbass. You get the part, right but, the inflection, though. <laughs> yeah. Until you can tell us where you were from the time your daughter went missing, you need to just uh, shut up and get and get to it and tell us what's happening. You called your wife at 11.30. You found out Billy was missing. And Billy Brandywine Valley's 15 minutes away. Uh, you didn't get here in 15 minutes. What's up, Mr. Copeland? So finally he figures Gideon is too tough. And uh, he he comes out with the fact that he was at uh, Sloan Kettering Hospital in New York. Dr. Balin Mahal is the head of oncology. You can call him if you want. Gideon says, I will. Then he seems to have a moment of compassion and says, okay, you had a, a relapse. You're suffering from a relapse. And uh, and Mr. Copeland says, yes, it's in my lymph nodes now. 
There's nothing more they can just please find my daughter, find my daughter. Gideon sort of acquiesces, but he also says one last, okay, call Snow yeah, Cat. He actually, he actually walks up to her and puts his hand like right next to his shoulder, but doesn't quite pat him on the shoulder. <laughs> walks away. It's, it's just Gideon's going to show the compassion, but like, you know what? He still might be the answer. I can't do it. Uh, always, yeah. always the BAU hawk that he is. Did you happen to recognize the actor who plays. Uh, the father here, Mr. Copeland. Um, you know, AJ, I thought he looked vaguely familiar, but I didn't uh, I mean, look he, it up. He's not like I a huge know. actor by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I recognize him immediately as uh, Kevin Costner's father from Field of Dreams. Yes, wow. indeed, who comes back to the cornfield. Spoiler alert! If you build it, he will come. <laughs> uh what is that? I haven't seen that movie in like, what is it? 20 years, 25 years. <sighs> it's, we old. It's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad that you, <laughs> the fact that you recognized him means maybe you, uh, he held an indelible spot in your It's just one of, one of these guys, one of these, that guys. You're like, oh, I know who that guy is. <laughs> so next we cut to some, uh, we see some neighborhood kids in the driveway playing basketball. Russet, Hotch, and Morgan approach them. Russet says, good afternoon. I'm Detective Russet. This is Hotchner and Morgan from the FBI. They're like, hi, you guys. One of the kids is like, can I see your gun? <laughs> um, a neighborhood lady that I'm, I'm just going to name for no special reason, Karen. She comes up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, a Karen shows up. It's exactly what I have down in my notes. <laughs> Glad you and I are on the same page. There. <laughs> she comes up and uh, starts spouting off. This used to be a good neighborhood, but this is what happens when you let pedophiles and sex freaks live wherever they want. She's been searching the sex offender registry. Two of them live close by. Not that you can tell exactly from this map on the internet, are you talking to them? And uh, Russet is like, yes, ma'am. And uh, a, a little boy says, what's a pedophile sex freak? <laughs> Thanks, uh, Karen. Yeah. Morgan says, hey, 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 kids, listen up. Uh, which one of you is Connie? And uh, I mean, when they were playing, they obviously focused on this little blonde girl that was going to be the one. And of course, she is Connie. Yes. Uh, she raises her hand and, and they get her mom's permission to ask her a few questions and then they pull her aside. Hotch asks her if she talked to a man yesterday about finding his dog. She says, yeah. He said her name was Candy and that she was old, but I told him I couldn't help him because I had to go home and have lunch. And if I'm late, I get grounded. They're like, yeah, moms are like that. Uh, and then uh, she came back. Yeah, she came back. She was already late for soccer practice. They stopped. Connie, wait, he came back? Yeah, after lunch, he said his dog was still lost. They asked her if she thinks they would that she would recognize him if she saw him again. She doesn't know, so they ask her to go down to uh, the police department and take a look at a book with some men's faces in it. Might help you recognize it. Would that be okay? Uh, she agrees, and uh, they take they take Connie away. Morgan says he came back to the same neighborhood twice in one day. That's bold. He's comfortable in the area. So Gideon uh, comes up and asks, what do they know? Hotch says, well, we had we talked to a kid that had contact with the unsub. Uh, Morgan is on his fact that they came back from the same street more than once. Hotch tells us, well, he's at 
ease in the neighborhood. He's comfortable talking to kids in plain view. Um, he lured Billy with a story about a lost dog. She recently lost one of her own. Uh, Reed points out that indicates that the unsub may have had previous knowledge of the victim. Yeah, I think I think what's great about this scene there's just there's such an energy to the direction of this scene. Like it, you feel that there's an urgency. In a lot of the cases that we've seen, it's been like they're trying to catch an unsub before they kill again, or there's a missing person they got to find them. And it's just like they have these long dialogue conversations that are an asides and they're walking. It's like this really feels like they're on a timetable. It's like, you know, Gideon comes over. This is what I learned in the last scene. And then Hotch Morgan like, and this is what we learned. And then Reed and JJ, you know, walk over from the other side like, oh, and here's what we got. And it's really rapid fire. There's just an energy here that was missing from the last few episodes. I think this is when the show shines, when you really believe that these are people trying to solve a case and they have to solve the case. <laughs> Agreed. And I appreciate like the, like, Okay, what, what, where are we? Like, let's give a, a quick little rundown. And it wasn't nine hours of over-explaining the same thing over and over. Yes, they say facts that they heard, but it's just, a, like you said, an energy to yeah, it. And it makes sense that, like, hey, Gideon wasn't with with Hachi Morgan. We saw it, sure, but for it to be just quicker. Hey, we saw, we found out we, we took the girl. She took she's taking the photos. She's in the neighborhood. Okay, great. There's a dog. Yes, she's died. Oh, the room. Yes, they're putting it together. It includes us in on the investigation a little bit too. I I, I thought this was a great scene. It didn't even matter what they were saying in the scene, and it really doesn't, you know, at the end of it all. It, but they're solving the case. They're working on the case. They're a team. I loved it. Yeah, and uh, so basically they they've got to they've got to figure out their tactics and 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 maybe perhaps change them because if they don't, Billy isn't going to make it. So uh, did you get uh, maybe I can get your opinion here. I, I, because I thought it was a great line by Gideon at the end of the scene. I, I'm thinking he's pointing at the press and talking about the press when he tells JJ, I want you to corral all these clowns. We're going to need them, all of them. Um, yeah. It, it, you know, it, was it the press? Okay, It was the press. Yeah, it was, it, was all, it was so much press who really are not doing anything at this point. They're just looky-loos and they're just going to get in the way. We've already seen you know, from previous episodes that they can just cause more trouble than they're worth. Uh, under the wrong circumstances. This is why JJ is supposed to be there to like really liaise with them <laughs> and keep them in check. But yeah, I just thought it was great. Gideon's like, look, time's a ticking. What we got? A little over two hours left at this point. We really need to get the ball rolling here. Maybe it's time to think outside the box. Go back. Gideon is always think outside the box. Think outside that box. It's a mantra for him. We have guidelines. Let's move past the guidelines. Let's think of something else. Hey. Corral those clowns. We got I got a plan. Yeah. <laughs> Corral those clowns. I love that that line. We cut to the profile powwow. Uh, is this where we need our shortcut, AJ, <laughs> that we talked about last week? I oh, they they do say some facts that might be helpful, so I'll sort of go over it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there were a little facts. You can go through a little bit of the facts. I mean, it, it wasn't so much a local, local kind of thing where it's like, hey, he might be among you. Yeah, that's, that's implied at the end. But I think this was more uh, – this one is specifically important because it was, hey, we need to back off. Right. Take away the police presence, which is unusual. You think, oh, we better double down our efforts. Time's running out. He's like – Let's take away the police presence because if we don't and he feels threatened, he'll kill her. And we know that these often end in death and we don't want that. Let's try something different. What was really weird here, and I, we had the 
the green screen montages that yeah. you hate with them. Re- re- but they did something different this time. Instead of just looking back, they actually walked into the yeah, scene that right. was going on and interacted. That was a little different. Yeah, it was. And then I also enjoy that they, even if we like our local cop, there's always at least one other cop that's going, hey, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? You know, uh, <laughs> you're the ones who came up with the procedure in the first place, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no. So, yeah, they explained that we, they need to lessen the pressure on our unsub. Otherwise, he might uh, he might kill the girl. This is a guy that fits in around the area. Yes, I know. But yes, this guy fits in. He's a, this is they've decided that this guy is a, a first timer since um, usually the first timers will hunt sort of closer to home uh, while the experienced predator will go somewhere out of outside of those bounds. And they said uh, this guy's had a, a recent stressor, maybe a, a job loss or some other kind of setback. And he does own or at some point owned a dog named Candy, probably. They, so they talk about maybe cross-checking the vet, veterinary records uh, with all the residents in the neighborhood. And yeah, like you said, the important point is this guy, unlike cases we've had before, he won't inject himself into this investigation. Usually we have an unsub that, you know, wants to be all up in it and is probably someone they've already talked to. But this guy is probably in hiding. He doesn't want any he doesn't know what anyone saw. He doesn't know if there's any information about him out there. He's going to be watching the news. Right. But uh, he's certainly going to see cops going down his street. I mean, he's not blind, but or maybe he's blind. That'd be cool. That'd be an interesting <laughs> twist. But, uh, you know, he, yeah, I, I think what you really want to see in these episodes, if we're going to have the scene in every episode, which we do, of, of the profile delivery, what makes this one different? Right. What And, and, and this is it. All the one we know up to now. Folks at home, you've been counting all the all the cases we've done, all eleven of them. <laughs> <laughs> the unsub really wants wants to, wants to get involved. This one is this is different, so right. that, that's that's cool. I, I like that. Yeah. Uh, next scene, we cut to uh, Garcia answering the phone with her usual panache, saying, uh, "Penelope Garcia's house of how may I save your ass today." <laughs> Uh, and it's Morgan, so I'm assuming the conversation's gonna be hot. Um, he says, "You can give me all the sex offender registry for Wilmington, Delaware." And uh, she's that like, is "The hot, <laughs> yeah." She's like, "Oh, well, that's always a fun group." Uh, she brings up Gideon's flowers that he sent, uh, and wonders if he's jealous. And, and Morgan's just like, "Sex offenders, please." No, no, no. I just got another gift, too. And it's a severed hand. Oh, wait, no. That was just my fake out from last week's quiz. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there there aren't many sex offenders. I mean, she goes through, apparently there's levels of them, level three, level two, uh, and the lightest level, perhaps, is level one. Uh, she does mention there is a level one offender who only lives a mile from the scene, whose name is Dennis Jones. He was uh, booked for solicitation of prostitution. Morgan says, oh, that doesn't really fit the profile. The guy we're looking for probably couldn't perform with adults, uh, pro or not, as he says. And so now we cut away from that scene back to the Copeland house. Where liaising Um, is going on. (laughs) Yes, for more liaising. 
Mr. Copeland can't believe all the police have been taken off the street. He's basically questioning their methods. Mrs. Copeland comes in, notices that uh, Mr. Copeland is taking his meds again. He just wants to know what the police are doing to find his daughter. Uh, but Mrs. Copeland says, you're sick again, aren't you? Al says, we want you to meet with the press, both of you. Mr. Copeland doesn't get the logic of this. Uh, we hear the doorbell ring. Mr. Copeland gets up to go get it. He tells El just to tell Marilyn what they need them to do. Yeah, he just want, he just, he just wants to get out of there because he doesn't want them to confess that he's sick. So you know, we yeah, know he's deflecting and and, and evading uh, left and right. But yeah, he goes to get the door and who's at the door, Quintana? It's Karen. Uh, uh, actually, I think she says her name and I uh, and I already it, it uh, I ignored matter. it. It's Karen. It's Karen. She's uh, worried about all the sex offenders. She's going to give a list of all those offenders to Mr. Copeland, at which point he immediately uh, jumps in his truck and takes off because he's going to, you know, do something about uh, do something about this. Apparently, L rushes out and the lady says there are sex offenders in the area. I thought he should know. And L just calls her stupid. <laughs> That's the only she thing says, she says. Stupid. stupid. <laughs> Uh, then she calls Hotch and says that they have a problem. At this point, we cut to a guy who I'm thinking looks sort of like a second-rate Ethan Hawke. <laughs> sure, uh, sure. And he's uh, getting out of his car and heading back toward his house carrying a, a bag of something. Uh, we see Mr. Copeland duck back into view because he was ducking out of view in his truck because he's an expert uh, <laughs> at uh, surveillance. And he gets out and he... Uh, approaches the guy and he's carrying with him a big old heavy looking wrench uh, which would look like it would do quite a bit of damage as a blunt instrument. Yeah, luckily though, I mean, he's going to follow the rules of Clue and he'll have to wait till he gets into the billiard room to attack him, right? <laughs> yes, yes. He uh, He's all Dennis Jones and Jones saying, do I know you? He's like, where's my daughter? Where's he daughter? Where's my daughter? And uh, basically they, they get into a fight, right? Right then and there, he because he has no clue what she's talking about. What he's talking about, he, he keeps saying, "Where is she, you pervert?" They struggle, uh, fall to the ground. Hotch and Morgan pull up, and this is a, a great chance to have Morgan do a nifty, like flying tackle to uh, break them up. Hotch just tells the guy to uh, let it go, just go into his house, and uh, we cut to then see a police car driving away. Uh, and then we see another car, and it's it's Russet with uh, Gideon. She's like, well, that's it. No more uniforms in the neighborhood. Are you sure this is what we want to do? Gideon hopes it is. Russet says, you're taking a hell of a chance, aren't you? And uh, Gideon says, all we can do is respond to what's in front of us. And Russet says, what if you're wrong? Gideon says, <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and then, and then... And then we're going to get a huge surprise here. <laughs> a huge surprise. They ask a question about, you know, what was the biggest biggest thing that they did wrong when they were setting up all these things about how to handle kidnapped kids and everything. And suddenly Reed from the backseat says, well, I have the answer to that question. And we had no idea Reed was in the car at all this whole time. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a common thing where all of a sudden Reed is like there. You didn't know he was there. Uh, but even in this case, yeah, in the car. And you're right. I had no idea who was there until he speaks up. 
but the uh, the big issue, apparently, the big problem was stranger danger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that whole program, they flooded the schools with it. Reed remembers they used to come to his classroom. It was officer friendly with the stranger danger coloring books, and they taught a whole generation of kids about a scary man in a trench coat hiding behind a tree. Gideon is saying, then we learned that strangers are only a, a fraction of the offenders out there. Most of the people, most of the offenders are people you see every day, your family, your neighbors, your school teachers. You know, the rest, we prepared our children for 1% of the danger and made them more vulnerable to the 99%. Very bleak. So, <laughs> very, very bleak. Yeah. Accurate, but bleak. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, sometimes people mean well and... Uh, you know, it just doesn't work out the way you, you hoped it would. But, uh, yeah, I remember the whole uh, stranger danger thing and the yeah. assemblies. And uh, John Mulaney's got a whole good uh, <laughs> good comic bit on that. But, uh, yeah, street smart. <laughs> yeah. Did you get, did you have uh, McGruff the crime dog? Or was that a West no, Coast thing? No, I remember the TV uh, commercials. Uh, I, 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 you didn't come into the schools or anything. But, yeah, yeah. McGruff the crime dog here. Yeah. Yeah, that. It, but I feel like at, at some point we had a McGruff instead of Officer Friendly. Maybe it was California or something. I don't know. But it was the same concept. Yeah, same. just general practices. You know, the re, your regional variation might uh, vary as to what the mascot might be. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, anyway, getting into saying, look, we've been wrong before. All we can do for, for is learn from it. Hopefully we can be better next time. Then a dispatcher uh, comes in over the radio and tells them that they've located a body. Uh, it's female. So they uh, rush off to the scene. When they arrive there, uh, they're being told that the call was anonymous, that said there was a body in the water. Uh, the body has brown hair, brown eyes, about 410, 4'11, yeah. Russet is like, I should have started the search earlier. And uh, Gideon kind of consoles her. I'm sure you just did what you thought was right, detective. Uh, that might have been Reed, actually. I, it was, it was, a, com- it was I think it was a combination, actually. I think they both were... But they're they trying both, to... They were both, yeah. Again, they like her. They're working with her. She, she, she's, she's very good at her job. She, you know, and people make mistakes. That doesn't mean that you're, you, you're to yep. be blamed for them. Heck knows, BAU's made mistakes and will make mistakes again. So uh, I, I, like, I right. like the fact that they're treating her the way they are. Uh, and, you know, she has a very normal reaction here is that, you know, they're about to go that last little bit to identify the body. And she's like, you know, I, I just can't because if it's her, I, I right. and they're like, mm, we got it. So, uh, yeah. So Reed and Gideon go to watch them pull the body out of the river. We don't see it, really. We see a little bit and it looks like maybe it's her, but we can't really tell. Yeah, they're hiding it very well as there's like six people carefully taking the body out of the water because, of course, you want to preserve as much evidence as possible of damage in the body. You don't want to just, like, yank it out by a leg or something. They're treating it with respect and care, which is kind of uh, cool to see. Uh, and Gideon is just, man, the look on his face. He looks ill the whole time because he knows his whole world's going to come crashing down if, the, if that's Billy. And there's that thing that you can read it on his face. Is like, there's that moment where he goes, and even if this isn't Billy, I'm going to be happy about it. And then I'm going to have to deal with the fact that I'm happy that we found right. this dead person who's not the dead person we thought it was going to be, but it's still a dead person. It's it's right. it's a oh, it's a rough job, man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we the scene ends without us getting an answer. We just have Reed and Gideon giving uh, each other a look, and uh, and then it cuts away. 
back to the police station and Hotch is telling the Copelands that Mr. Jones isn't going to be pressing any charges. And Mr. Copeland still has a little bit of attitude. He's like, am I supposed to be grateful? That bastard's a pedophile. No, he isn't. His offense was soliciting a prostitute. It has nothing to do with kids. That's why you need to leave this to law enforcement. Yeah. Uh, it's basically what they tell it's, you know, It's, you know, when... When I moved to this house that I live in here, you know, we, you know, we're going to have kids. We, we check the sex registry just to, just to see, scope out the neighborhood. You want to make sure that the person you're living next to isn't on the, you know, the sex offenders right. list and everything. And there was a guy who was about a block and a half away from us who was on the list. And, you know, we asked around, you know, do we, should we be concerned about this at some point? And we found out that when this guy was 17 years old, he was dating a 16-year-old, and then he turned 18. And the family didn't like him, so they basically turned him in. So, you know, on Tuesday, he's not committing a crime, but on Thursday, he is. And he had to go on the list. But that's the type of person you're like, that's not someone who's going to be bothering people. And it happened 40 years ago, right. and been, but he's still on the list. You know, it's like... There's levels yeah. to this, and you have to understand that. So, Karen, yeah. you're not helping anybody. Exactly. Uh, Hotch says, look, we understand your frustration and your anger, but look, you're jeopardizing all of our efforts to save your daughter's life. Every minute that we have to spend chasing you is time we're not spending on Billy. So either get control of yourself and follow our directions or just stay out of our way. <laughs> and uh, Mrs. Copeland is like, what What do you want us to do? Um, it turns out they want them to make a public appeal for information regarding a witness driving a dark green SUV. Copeland says, isn't he supposed to be the suspect? And uh, he is, but when people hear suspect, they think monster, and it can't possibly be their neighbor. If they say witness, this guy might be considered a hero, so a, a neighbor might be more inclined to say, oh, yeah, it might have been Frank, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, Frank, drives a, Frank drives a green SUV, and he could be the witness. Yeah, he's got great eyesight. Let's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they need the public's help, basically, and the Copelands agree. So we cut to their press conference, and uh, JJ is there announcing them. And uh, she says, as you know, their 11-year-old daughter, Billy, is missing. So if you could just have a little compassion and patience. Indeed. That won't come into play at all. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Mr. Copeland speaks uh makes a plea for anyone who saw the green SUV to come forward. And he, he, you know, sells the company line. This guy is not a suspect. He's a witness. He might not know that what he saw is important, etc. So basically what they just told them to say. But he, pull, he pulled it off. I mean, it sounded a little coached, but okay. He's, he, he pulls it off. I, you know, that could easily go, go sideways very quickly. And he, he managed to get through it without giving up. The, the, you know, because you could you just imagine one one reporter saying to him like, "Oh, isn't he the suspect? Yeah, he is a suspect. Ah, but we're trying to get him to yeah. commit." <laughs> Oops. Well, to me, I mean, they really should have just said, you know, and due to the situation, we're not going to have any questions. We just want to make a brief statement and then have them just out of sensitivity. Sure, um, but you know, the reporter's no. going to scream the questions anyway, and he might answer. Right. It's it's not a contained environment. But yes, you would hope that the press have been, you know, the parents are going through this for the first time. You would hope the press knows what's going on here and would work with them a little bit. 
it's like, okay, I, yeah. we get it. We get it. You can still write your story and say, hey, when they do this, that means it's still, you shouldn't do that. But at, at least don't don't put it on the parents. Have that compassion, yeah. as you said. Well, AJ, we did meet one reporter earlier, and he is here. And uh, he says, uh, what about the body located by the police earlier today? That wasn't Billy's? <laughs> the Copelands were completely shocked to hear this. They had no idea that a body was found. JJ ends the press conference, and then she goes and to berate that reporter, like, I thought I said compassion. Uh, and the reporter is like, well, you guys didn't tell him about the body. It's not my fault. JJ is just not happy with them. She berates him. Anyway. Yeah, so any any chances of uh, of uh, that uh, JJ Hal romance probably just went out the window right there. <laughs> yeah, not going to happen. Back in the room with the Copelands, they want to know about the body. And Gideon has just arrived and he, and he lets them know it's it's not Billy. The body that was found was much older and has been dead a number of days. Looks like it may be a, a junkie or an overdose. After that, the Copelands leave and, and Gideon asks, what the hell was that all about? Uh, Hotch tells them that a reporter asked them about the body. That they probably heard it on a police scanner. And JJ says she should have prepared them for that. But Gideon says, we don't have anything at all to tell him yet. Uh, Reed says Billy's running out of time. Gideon is like, come on, a little hope, huh? We'll make it. We'll make it. I guess this was him being, like, uh, inspiring. <laughs> yeah, sure. Gideon is just Gideon. Oh, come on. A little hope. Gideon gets in a mood, man. He he gets in a mood, and, but he'll turn on a dime, and that emotional kick in, and he just just focuses. So today, he's he's the bastion of hope. Some days we're like, we're never gonna find this guy. Doesn't matter what we do at this point. <laughs> yeah. Later on, uh, at the police station, Hotch uh, comes up to Morgan and Reed, who are, are going through the files from all the uh, canvassing that was done. And he asks them how it's going. And uh, Morgan says, well, our unsub is in here somewhere. But and you got to bet that the police talked to him in their initial con- canvas. And Reed says, well, wait, maybe not. Maybe uh, he hasn't spoken to them. He's a solitary individual. He isn't the type of guy who wants to insert himself into an investigation. Wouldn't it make more sense that he wouldn't have answered the door during the initial canvassing? Um, it, it would be too risky. So they decide maybe they should compare the hotline tips with anyone who wasn't at home or who didn't answer the door during the initial canvassing. It's opposite day at the BAU. <laughs> right. Uh, and maybe that way they'll find their unsub. So they go to it. And uh, then we cut to L, who is uh, still sort of consoling Mrs. Copeland. Uh, Gideon comes in to see how things are going. Mr. Copeland says, you know, all her life when my little girl needed help, she came to me. And now when she needs me the most, there's just nothing. And he's obviously distraught and he he get, leaves the room. Mrs. Copeland says when he got sick, he didn't want to make us watch him die. He's the one that wanted the divorce. And I let Billy believe it because that it was her because I don't know. She didn't. She thought it seemed better than the truth, which was that that her father was running away from them. So she basically lied to her. 
And L says, uh, well, that was an incredibly courageous sacrifice. And Mrs. Copeland says, yeah, except for now he's sick. And all I have left is a daughter who hates me. Yeah, you know, in the moment I can I can see that, oh, well, you know, she's going to lose her father to cancer. He's going to die. Uh, I don't want her to also hate him when he dies, so I'll take the heat. And then when he doesn't die, it's like, great, now she hates me <laughs> and dad's still around. Yeah. And now he's sick again and I can't, I'm going to lose him anyway. Uh, yeah, oh, it's not a good situation. No. We cut to Gideon, who is uh, out there with Mr. Copeland, who feels like he's just sitting around helpless, not doing anything. And Gideon points out to him that is about his battle with cancer and that he was able to fight that and he needs to fight just as hard for his daughter. He tells him not to give up. Copeland says, yeah, but my cancer came back. Basically, he says he fought the cancer and the cancer won. <laughs> he fought the uh, cancer and the cancer won. And the but, you know, at the same time, you know, uh, I mean, Gideon could spin it if he was a little bit less caring and said, well, you see, you thought the cancer was gone and it came back. You thought Billy is gone. She's going to come back, too. <laughs> Look on the bright side, guy. <laughs> but no, he didn't. I mean, he, of course, Gideon's not going to do that. But he's like, you know, look, every second counts. You would have had all these memories with, with her if you had given up before and you fought. And th that fighting was worth it. So don't give up. Don't give up. Where's the hope? Ah, ah, where's the hope? Hope. Keep hope alive. Don't give up the hope. Uh, Copeland does ask Gideon if he's going to find her. And Gideon says, the men and women I work with are the best in the world. Uh, they won't rest until they do. You have his word on that. Which I thought was a nice little yeah. Nice little moment of respect for the That's whole right. And team. we've seen that this episode, so it makes sense that, that not only have we seen it, but if the father was watching, he would have seen it too. Like, the, clearly, there and everyone's involved in this case. Uh, it's not like one of these two people are here and three people are there and they interact once and fly home. So, again, this right. episode is working uh, on all cylinders as far as I'm concerned, especially after last week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we cut back to Reed and Morgan, who are still going over all the files, and they, they haven't found anything yet. But then a cop comes in and says they got a call from one Mr. Lomax, who has a neighbor with a green SUV, but he hasn't seen him all day. Uh, he says that's unusual, thought he might have been out of town, but now he sees some lights on over there. So they uh, decide to cross-reference the address with the, the files and it turns out that this was a person that didn't answer the the door before. So they decide to go to talk to Mr. Lomax to check out this lead. We cut to them arriving at Mr. Lomax in his house and he's in his yard raking leaves. And I wrote this actor gives me a Chris Elliott vibe, maybe mixed with a little Maurice Gibb. <laughs> okay, sure. So, 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 anyway. so paper boy who's going to sing in a falsetto? <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so uh, Hotch and Reed introduce themselves, and Mr. Lomax talks about his neighbor, whose name is Don Curtis. He lives down the street. He drives a dark green Explorer. Ford Explorer. <laughs> Ford has paid for this episode, folks. <laughs> and by the way, he's at the park all the time. Maybe he knows something, but doesn't know that he knows it. Uh, <laughs> Great delivery. Uh, yeah. So they ask, uh, where's the Explorer now? Lomax says it's usually in the driveway, but he hasn't seen it today. He hasn't seen Don either, and they usually chat. And uh, 
They ask uh, him if Don has a dog. Lomax says, oh, yeah, he used to. A big golden retriever. Name was Candy. So he has a dog named Candy. I think we know what's up now. (laughs) Yeah, that pretty much seals the deal. Uh, They thank Mr. Lomax. Morgan calls Hotch, says they better get over there right now. So now we cut to Hotch and Gideon arriving. And uh, Morgan is telling them uh, where the house is, that there's no answer. But the neighbor said there was definitely someone there. And he's seen that there's a green Ford Explorer. Ford Explorer in the garage. (laughs) Gideon is like, okay, let's break down the door. Uh, Russet reminds him of a little old thing called probable cause. AJ. (laughs) Oh, that little thing. (laughs) Yeah. Did I, mention that, said, did I mention that detective was really good at her job? <laughs> yes, established exactly. that? Yeah. Uh, Morgan is saying, well, he's got a green SUV. He had a dog that died recently. He spends time in the park. Uh, he's pretending he's not home. And Russet says, and none of those things are illegal. So <laughs> uh, no judge is going to really sign a warrant based on that information. And Gideon says, you're weighing the life of a child against the price of a door. The longer we stand here, the longer he has to finish her off. Russet says she'll call a judge. Gideon has apparently had enough, and he takes off running toward the house. And uh, AJ, they need to have more scenes of Gideon running at a full sprint <laughs> because it's hysterical. I enjoyed it so much. Well, because it doesn't start as a sprint. It starts as a, <laughs> as a, as a walk. And then it's, yeah. uh, I've, I've got a little space on the rest of the team, and now I'm going to take off. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm no, sure no, if I saw... Mind, he just is getting over a, a broken uh, ankle from a skydiving accident, so it, it <laughs> might not be fully healed. Maybe you're making fun of someone who's wounded. <laughs> I don't care. I want more Gideon running scenes. I'm just I'm uh, just trying to maintain some sort of consistency from episode to episode. That's all, man. <laughs> I get it. No, I get it. Uh, so, uh, he gets to the house, and, uh, He's not like Hotcher Morgan. He's not going to kick in the door, but he is going to grab a big, huge uh, plant pot that's there and use it to break open the uh, window that's uh, by the side of the door and and go in the house that way. <laughs> uh, this, this is what cracked me up because, like, okay, he, he smashes the window. At that point, all bets are off anyway. So why didn't he just wait for Morgan to knock the door down at that point? Yeah. <laughs> No, he yeah, he's got to risk cutting himself. Uh, but two seconds later, uh, Morgan not going to pass up a chance now. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I mean, the gig is up at this point. Uh, so they decide to eschew the law. They burst into the house and they have a, a very scared looking, uh, I said, uh, Eric Stoltz wannabe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, he says he doesn't know what they're talking about. Please, Hammer, don't hurt him. They're... You know, basically arresting this guy. Uh, Gideon sends him off, tells them to tear apart the house. Didn't just arrest the guy. I mean, Gideon's got the gun at his head and cocks straight to his dome. Cocks the gun. Like, tell me where she is. Tell me where she is. I mean, Gideon's this close to really crossing a line that he can't come back from. (laughs) Yeah. We cut to a little bit later and they haven't found anything. A cop is even saying the girl isn't there. Uh, we go inside the house, and uh, Rita's saying, just as we expected, he has an extensive collection of deviant photos and cartoon downloads. 
<laughs> he also runs a bicycle shop where he's going to invite <laughs> Arnold and, Little Arnold and Jackson Dudley over. <laughs> Gideon, for some reason, asks if the photos were partitioned in separate folders. If he knows about this. All right. Anyway. anyway Don't read too much uh, into it. <laughs> So they say, yes, uh, Gideon tells them, well, access the Internet history, identify any pornographic sites, shut them down, which I didn't get. What do you mean? Shut them, shut well, them down. It, like, you know, he's not just thinking short term at this case. He's thinking that, oh, if he's downloading porn from a site, let's go. Let's report it to the proper people who can shut those sites down. Okay. I mean, I'm sure Garcia could probably do it with three mouse clicks, but he doesn't really even remember her name. So. <laughs> Uh, but we're assuming they're talking specifically pedophil- pedophilia yeah. type porn. Illegal, and, okay. definitely yeah. over the line. Uh, this is criminal uh, material. Right. Morgan is going through a bunch of uh, cassettes, video cassettes, I should say. Gideon is asking what that is. Is it all porn? Morgan says it's a lot of home movies uh, with a bunch of kids in it. Uh, this particular one you need to see. We don't see this video. Well, no. this is what's weird, because when he comes in, he's watching a video, and it's clearly footage of a soccer field with a soccer game going on. So it, it may even have been taken on the day of this particular abduction. Uh, if he was, you know, but he's shooting the video of a, a presumably youth soccer game. Uh, and then he says, by the way, you got to take a look at what's on this one. Like, so you've already watched this one and didn't say... Hey, Gideon, come in here. Look at what's on this tape. Yeah. You're going to want to see this. He waits for Gideon to come in so he can go, hey, you're going to want to see this one over here. Hang on. One, three, back. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, again, it's just Lead weird. off with that one, <laughs> yeah. Morgan. Oh, Gideon, you're here. Look, check this out. That's what he should do. And I know it's just a function of it being a TV show, but it always, that kind of stuff always hits me wrong. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we don't see it. We just, we hear a voice on it saying, remember what I'll do if you tell anyone. Yeah, so uh, probably better off for not seeing it. Oh, yeah, that. no, we don't need to see uh, it. Uh, Reed, Reed does say they've searched everywhere. There's no sign of the girl or that she's even been there. Gideon doesn't believe it. He's like, just keep looking. Reed goes over to, to the car where Don Curtis is, you know, just sitting in the back of with his cuffs on. Uh, he says, your tapes, your computer, uh, all full of uh, child pornography. Curtis says, well, do you guys have a warrant? I didn't see a warrant. And Hotch says, well, you're going to prison right now for how long is up to you. It's in your best interest to help us. Basically, Curtis doesn't help. He wants wants to lawyer. He wants a lawyer. So Yeah, he Hotch calls goes. Hotch's bluff because Hotch is bluffing yeah. and not doing a very good job of it. So this guy sees right through Hotch. So sometimes he gets really, 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 really stupid on subs. This is not a really stupid on sub. Yeah. Uh, Hotch goes back into the house, tells him Curtis lawyered up. Gideon says that's the first smart thing he's done. Hotch says, well, we broke into his house without Billy. We don't really have the exigent circumstances we need to make this case stick. We may need to let him go. And Russett's like, I told you we should have waited. And Hotch says, look, I know we made a call. If there's any recriminations, we'll, we'll take full responsibility. And Gideon is interrupting him, saying, Hotch, Hotch, he's the man, he's the man. <laughs> this is the guy. Hotch agrees, but starts to say they may have been overly hasty. <laughs> and Russet is like, hasty? 
you know as well as I do, unless we find Billy in his house, any evidence we find is going to be fruit of the poison tree. Love that phrase. Uh, it's a good one. Always, always down for it. Meanwhile, Gideon all of a sudden is staring at a broom. And, uh, See, what you don't know about Gideon is that he's he's starting a new bucket list, and uh, curling is number one on that list. <laughs> so he's got brooms <laughs> on the mind. <laughs> now it makes sense, AJ. Now it makes sense. Oh, Lord. No, Gideon just – see, that's the thing. That's again, goes back to last week's episode with Elle staring out the window and noticing something. Gideon likes to stare at things, and it's something it, – like the tunnel vision like focuses in. He's focused on that broom. He looks at the broom. He sees the broom. He knows there's something got the broom, and finally it falls into place. Uh, there's some material at the bottom of the broom so that, that he's been sweeping up. Uh, it appears to be insulation. Basically, this clue leads him to a ceiling vent, what looks like a normal like vent, but it actually is an entrance to an attic. I, I okay, fair, because it didn't look like a normal like pull down attic thing. But I would have still thought they would say, "Hey, maybe there's an attic in this house." Let's I mean, certainly, maybe, but I mean, again, is like you said, it, there wasn't an obvious opening there and vents and ceilings are not necessarily something you're going to pay any close attention to so you know he 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 did have the time to screw it back into place so it didn't even look like oh it wasn't like they looked up like hey that vent looks askew let's check it out you know he did his due diligence to clean up after himself just unfortunately uh gideon took a look at what he used to clean up after himself literally the broom (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. So they uh, open this vent. Uh, they, Gideon gets a boost up in there. Well, this, this cracked me up because Gideon's looking at the vent. He goes, Hotch, get me up there. <laughs> and I'm like, what, 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 you want Hotch to actually like like fly? Like, what, what yeah. do you want him to do? But you know, Hotch just like looks around like, oh, here, here's a chair. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Stay out of Jason's way when he's ready to do something like this. Yeah. But lo and behold, AJ, she's there. Oh, thank goodness. Billy is there. She's alive. Thank God. Morgan is very, uh, not Morgan, uh, Gideon is very gentle and kind with her. Hey, I'm here to take you home, sweetie. Your mommy and daddy are worried about you. She's like, I want to go home. I want to go home. Gideon has, I guess, was it the dog toy? Yeah, he had taken it from her room and, and has it on him and says, hey, I brought this. You want to bring it back home where it belongs? Yeah. So it's very kid. He's yeah, very sweet. So basically, they let her down, and he's even careful about her arm as they're letting her, uh, letting her down. Watch your arm. Watch your arm. I mean, would you have thought that this is how Gideon would act with a kid after throw me the baby? (laughs) (laughs) I I think this particular one must have set off some kind of, some kind of. well, you know, he just reconciled with his son in the last episode. He's probably feeling even more paternal than usual yeah. and wanting to make it up for past transgressions. So I think that, you know, psychologically it, it tracks as a very uh, good continuity from last episode. But I will say between this and the killing of the whole families the last episode and between the, the babies and the episode before that screaming – I, I'll be okay if we get a little break from the, the kid crimes for a, a little bit. Uh, well, we will, we will find out shortly. <laughs> uh, that's it. They found the girl and we're somehow, even though they didn't appear to take the jet there, 
They're taking the jet home. <laughs> I mean, look, they're in Delaware. Joe Biden, when he was in the Senate, took a train from Delaware to Washington, D.C. every day. It's not that far of a drive. They <laughs> arrived in a vehicle. I mean, sure, it could have been from the airport, but it seems like it'd be just faster to drive than to, to gas up the jet and fly it. But here they are on the jet. <laughs> And Gideon, we get a, uh, a quote voiceover from Gideon. Measure not the work until the day's out and the labor done. Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Uh, that one's that one's a weak one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think they're saying like, uh, don't count your chickens before they're hatched, and don't brag about it until you know, they solve the case. They're done. They can go home. I, it, it, it's it's yeah. not very on theme, but uh, we're gonna see them on the jet and uh, talk about a scene that doesn't really track to anything we've seen thus far from this team but again we've had the spirit of working as a team and they 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 got the job done and they are in a good mood yes such a good mood that they decide to play some poker (laughs) uh so that's what they're doing on the jet and uh who's cleaning up who in that team do you think is going to clean up uh, when playing poker. Well, I'm going to go put my money on the boy genius from Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. That's exactly, he has, he has a winning hand, AJ. He has two pairs of aces. <laughs> <laughs> but they're all laughing. Even Hotch is like, oh, he's from Vegas. You can't bet against the baby. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. So uh, they're playing, and uh, and then uh, Gideon decides to ask Hotch if he sent the flowers to that tech room girl, Garcia, and, sa- and say they were from him. And Hotch is like, yeah, why? <laughs> and uh, he says, Hotch says, Jason, people need to know that they're important, and sometimes you forget that. And he, he lets go with the real surprise. He says, yeah, I already sent her a gift. An MP3 player. They last longer. Well, <laughs> let me tell you a little story about uh, the technology uh, curve and exponential growth, Jason. <laughs> I sent her a Microsoft Zune. <laughs> it's the new Sony Minidisc. <laughs> and I, uh, I, I got her. I got her a special MySpace page. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so he sent a gift, and uh, Hotch says, well, so she got two gifts. And uh, Gideon wonders, well, what if she thinks I'm sweet on her? <laughs> uh, and then they all kind of laugh at that. Even Hotchner laughs at that one. <laughs> yeah. and, he, and he says, maybe not. And uh, also we hear, it turns out, uh, it, uh, the Copelands are going to stay together. Um uh, says, oh, good. Well, he's dying. He's having a difficult time. This is, uh, was this L, I think, yes, this was, was saying? L. Yeah, yeah. Billy's kind of used to him not being there, so maybe it would be better if they stayed apart. <laughs> like, way, way to go, Really? <laughs> really? Again, he says, no, it wouldn't. And uh, she says, how do you know? And he says, I know. I just know. And AJ... That was season one, episode 12. Well, there was one last little coda scene. Oh, did I miss something? You missed a coda scene because Gideon goes back into his office. 
I know there's yes. music playing. It was like a, one of these Ally McBeal ending montage scenes. But yes, Gideon yes. walks into his office, takes out a picture of Billy, and adds it to his family. Right. And and if you they do a, uh, a you know kind of a pan of all the photos there, and the first photo next to Billy is actually the twins that were rescued from the kidnapping oh. episode. Oh, see your eagle eyes, and you and I, you know, you don't recognize all of them because obviously he's been doing this for a long time. And like the next to last photo was our good friend Josh Patel from the train. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see that. I didn't even notice that. AJ, oh my, bad on me. I pretty much thought the episode was over on the plane. Oh yeah, I mean, for all for all intents and purposes, it was. But it, they did want to call back the fact that, and you know, I actually I'm a little bit confused why. Garcia, who notices all these pictures and is looking at them, doesn't notice that this could not all be his family yeah. at all. Yeah. But you know what? Then again, she was so into those flowers. I mean, she carried those flowers around for the rest of the episode, so she wasn't seeing anything <laughs> past the flowers. So maybe that, that's what happened there. But yeah, it's a nice little touch that uh, Gideon likes to keep photos of the people that he has saved on this little wall, and he calls them his family. That's, 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 that's sweet. Yeah. Beautiful. So that was the episode. Uh, what did you think? Even if this wasn't coming on the heels of last week's disaster of an episode, uh, this was great. This, this, like I said, we got over the hump <laughs> of our of our little Tennessee nightmare, and this was great. This was fantastic. The team worked well together. Everybody, the characters are, are, are operating on, on cylinders. And again, there was an energy to this episode that that was missing from a lot of episodes. I think you can honestly say Criminal Minds has found its rhythm. Agreed. This uh, was one of my favorite episodes so far, personally. I just uh, I, I yeah, maybe it was that energy you're talking about that just made me sort of uh, feel it, you know? Yeah, I like, it. uh, it's coming along. Yeah, all yeah. the characters, like, you know, we know who the characters are now. They're all, they're all ringing true. We're, they're interacting with each other. Then, like I said, there was, there was an urgency that is sometimes missing from these cases where it's like, we have to find this unsub before they kill again. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's crack out our barometer. And I think I know the answer on this one. But AJ, did they win? I mean, there was a girl who is kidnapped. They are called in very, very late in the game, where there is probably zero chance of them finding this girl uh, in time. And they find her. I mean, this is this is the easiest win uh, decision that we're gonna have, probably. You know, one one missing girl found alive. One up sub caught. Uh, and they were ha- handicapped at the start of this uh, by uh, coming in late. Um, win, 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 win. Yeah, yes. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Uh, so what does that leave our, our score at? After 12 episodes, they are doing quite well. And, you know, would we really want to follow a team that wasn't doing well at this point in the <laughs> game? Uh, nine wins, one loss, two ties. So not too shabby. Oh, good for them. And AJ, what we like to do at this point in the show usually is give Kentad a little bit of a quiz uh, inspired by the episode. Yeah, three questions. That's all. Three questions inspired by the episode. Uh, we're going to start off with question number one. Now, you, 
uh, noted that you found Mr. Lomax very interesting, calling him a Chris Elliott uh, Gib brother hybrid there. Maurice, I believe you said? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, he definitely jumps out at you, I think, as being an interesting uh, actor, an interesting character. In fact, that friendly neighbor, Mr. Lomax, is played by a, na- a man whose name is Time Winters. Very cool name. Now, clearly the casting director of the show agrees with you because he will return five seasons from now uh, for one more episode playing a different character in a different town. Okay? I would like for you to guess what character, what type of character he plays his second time around. Okay? I'm going to give you options. Multiple choice. Okay. Thank no, God. no, no. Multiple okay. choice. Is he a once again a neighbor who phones in a tip related to a kidnapping case? Is he B a quirky cop from a small town who calls the BAU in to help? Is he C Reed's father? Or is he D a sexual predator turned teacher? Ooh. AJ I'm going to say Time Winters comes back, which I love, by the way. I, I know uh, Law & Order used to do this all the time, have people come back in completely different roles. Um, but I'm going to say he comes back as uh, AJ. I'm old and my memory is leaving me, but I in my head I was saying option B. I just don't remember what option B was. We had we, well, that we was... had once again a neighbor, we had a quirky cop, we had Reed's father, we had sexual predator. Yeah, I'm going with the quirky, quirky cop. Quirky cop is your answer and I'm sure he would have been fine as a quirky cop, but Time Winters uh, will return as a sexual predator turned teacher. Ah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Hey. Something to look forward to. <laughs> Can't win a <laughs> Can't win them all. (laughs) Five seasons from now, so that'll be about uh, two and a half years. (laughs) All right. Uh, And you'll have long since forgotten by then. All right, question two. Question two. Uh, Our unsub in this episode was played by Ned Vaughn. And he would go on to have a recurring role on NBC's very short-lived series, The Event. Do you remember The Event? I remember The Event existing. And I remember watching the event. I don't remember any of the event. It was, uh, it was sci-fi schlock. It was supposed to basically be, you know, yeah. oh, this is going to be like Lost. It's going to be really, everyone's going to be talking about it. And it was unwatchable and awful. But Ned Vaughn was on it as a recurring character. Uh, what's interesting is that his character's name in the event is the same name as one of our Criminal Minds regulars on our show. So he played a character whose character who's a character on Criminal Minds. Can you tell me what his character name is? So it's basically guess a Criminal Minds character that you think he might have played someone with that same name. And to be fair, I'm assuming this is one that I have seen at this. Oh, point. It's certainly we're we're talking about one of our current. It's within okay. your can of knowledge. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. I don't think he played Penelope Garcia. Um, and in fact, along those lines of logic, not saying that it couldn't happen, I'm going to eliminate the female names, uh, although I guess that's gender bias on my part, and I probably shouldn't. 
unless you're saying, oh, we, they call him JJ, even though that's not it. Um, so I am going to say his name in that show was Spencer Reed. I am going to give you the point here. Uh, they they never mentioned his first name on the show, but he is Dr. Oh. Reed. <laughs> so oh, you've identified okay. the correct character. Dr. Reed, you're going to get the point. I'm not a stickler here. Yes, cool. Dr. Reed he played. How about that? <laughs> wow. I, uh, hey, that was a guess. Sometimes you guess right. Sometimes you break through the window and you find the girl. <laughs> sometimes you break through the window and your career is over. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we get to our final question, it's prediction time. Prediction time. Prediction time. Sometimes I like to throw in predictions here. We've got a lot of predictions on the table. Uh, five of them, in fact. Some of them are very long term over the course of the series, but some of them are more short term. Eventually, we're going to find out the Hoshner kid name. Yeah, I'm still waiting on that. And, and you have guessed Richard, and that is going to come off the board at some point, but we'll see. Hopefully this season. I don't even remember when it happens, <laughs> but I know it does happen. Uh, we've got other ones as well. No need to recap them all. I want to add this new one to the list here. Now, uh, I had mentioned that we had seen JJ and she met the reporter and I kind of said, do you think they're trying to maybe do some sort of uh, romance there? And of course, no, that wasn't what the case is here. But at some point over the course of 15 years, I think you will not find it surprising that JJ will, in fact, have a romantic relationship with someone. That should not okay. come as a shock to you. I don't think that's a spoiler to tell you that. Okay. Uh, I would think most people have a romantic relationship at some point in their life, should they choose to have one. Um, I would like for you to kind of predict and guess. Uh, JJ meets a romantic, uh, her romantic future, uh, a relationship in the future, on a case. While working a case. So I would like for you to tell me what type of person she has this connection with. You know, is it uh, someone from the press like we saw today? Is it a cop? Is it a medic? Is it a witness? Is it a victim? Is it an unsub? Is it a fellow FBI agent? You know, what is the role of the person uh, in, in our story? Uh, she meets this person on a case. That, that I mean, it still leaves... Every possibility. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm going to say, uh, since I know she is a football fan, uh, this guy uh, or gal, don't know, is an athlete. AJ, is that a... a is that too broad or is that uh, a fair... I mean, that's fair. Do you, do you want to also throw into the mix... Uh role in the in the course of the case like uh, the connection to the case uh i'm gonna say a, a witness in the case not clearly not a suspect obviously uh, but a, a witness okay. yeah that's fair i mean uh, we'll, we'll make that uh, that's that that's like a two for now i'll give you yeah. i'll give you points if this person turns out to be an athlete and i will give you points if this person turns out to be a witness cool excellent very good we'll add that to our our uh, prediction list, and as soon as we get some uh, traction on some of these predictions coming uh, to fruition, we will give the results. Uh, certainly, we'll keep track of that going forward. We have one more question left. It is my favorite question of every week. It is the, can Kintad 
correctly identify the plot for the upcoming episode, which will be Criminal Minds Season 1, Episode 13, the title of which is Poison. Poison! 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 Uh, Indeed. Let us see. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. You didn't give me the choices. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, if you want to guess right now, uh, I don't think you'll probably get it. Uh, <laughs> I'm so excited about the Belle Bib DeVoe connection in my head. All right. Uh, I'm sorry. Sure. No problem. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is it A, a woman is on trial for killing her husband with poison? but the prosecutor can't prove it and needs the BAU's help. Is it B? Local trio of singers make the mistake of trusting a big butt and a smile. <laughs> Thank you, God. Is it C? The CDC believes that a small packet of poisonings might be an omen for a bigger attack to come. Or is it D? When a wedding rehearsal ends with Everybody dead. The caterer, the florist, and the priest are among the suspects. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to rule out choice B. What? Uh, from, <laughs> from my list of choices. Uh, or choice BBD, I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, I throw you a bone this uh, week, right? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Now I'll just uh, miss it uh, one out of three instead of missing it one out of four. Uh, the odds of getting it right increased by 8%, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to say this is going to be boring, at least not necessarily in terms of execution, but just in terms of what the case is. Uh, mm. uh, the first answer, A, where the prosecutor needs help in proving woman sure sure sure, sure. prosecutor needs help for, for proving it i mean that certainly is something that would absolutely happen on this show and in fact it is not what happens on this show this week no 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 Todd, the cdc believes that a small pocket of poisonings might be an omen for a bigger attack to come okay and i thought it might be that because it would be more of a bau type of case but i i played games in my head and i Yes, well, go ahead and play I games chose. in your head. Just quit playing games with my heart. Ah, uh, AJ. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's good. That was fun, as as always. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> that's the show. That's the show this week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you had an excellent time. As always, uh, please be sure to subscribe to rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And be sure to spread the word and let your friends know about us. You can also, as I say, write to us at our wonderfully professional email address of feloniouspundits at gmail.com. And you can also uh, look us up on the old Twitterverse. We're there somewhere. Uh, for AJ Mass, this is Kentad Svensgard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. One would be in less danger from the wiles of the stranger if one's own kin and kith were more fun to be with. Ogden Nash. <laughs> <laughs>